Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The Old Testament reading for today comes from the book of Genesis, the first chapter, verses 30, or 20 through 25 and verses 30 and 31, part of the description of the fifth and sixth days of creation. Hear now the word of God. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarm of living creatures and let fowl fly over the earth across the vault of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that crawls, which the water had swarmed forth of each kind and the winged fowl of each kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the water in the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And it was evening and it was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth creatures of each kind, cattle and crawling things and wild beasts of every kind. And so it was. And God made wild beasts of each kind and cattle of every kind and crawling things on the ground of each kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, and to all the beasts of the earth and to all the fowl of the heavens and to all that crawls on the earth, which has the breath of life within it, I have given the green plants for food. And so it was the God and God saw all that God had done. And look, it was very good. And it was evening. And it was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Grace and peace to you. I'm the Reverend Rick Spaulding. I'll be reading the gospel passage this morning from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. I won't be reading the passage from Luke chapter 12 that's indicated in your bulletin. Listen now for a word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the religious authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Today, again, is the eighth day, the first day of a new week, the day after the Sabbath day that crowned the work of creation with rest and opened up a space for human beings to pay attention to the intricate marvel of it all. 
and to gather strength for the work that always lies ahead as a new week begins. Sometimes we call this first day of the week the Lord's Day, though perhaps Jesus would call it our day, the day for us, because it was, as the Gospel of John says, the day he gave the greatest gift he had to give, which was peace. He said it twice, and he didn't just call his gift by the noun of its name, peace, but he summoned it and conferred it with an imperative twice, peace be with you. He gave it to them, says John, by breathing on them. And there's no mistaking that remarkable gesture for anything but a reprise of the first chapter of Genesis, when God breathed into the earthling he had created out of the earth and brought him, her, them, us, alive. Sometimes we call this first day of the week the Lord's Day, but it's our birthday, the day when the Easter Jesus passed his breath along to us and the story of creation started all over again. And oh, how achingly we crave the intimacy of that gesture of his now. No social distance in the showing of those wounded hands and side. Nothing masked or hedged or held back at all about the way he chose to speak to their fear, to the whiplash of their grief at his gruesome death, turned to astonishment at his unstoppable life. Whatever the physics of resurrection may be, clearly nothing physical about the way bodies work before or after death impeded the giving of that gift. The doors were locked. The house shuttered for fear of everything going on outside. But he was there anyway and breathed out peace, conferred peace then, just as he confers peace now will do tonight if you are alone and shuddered and fearful and disoriented. Peace be with you, he will say again on this first night of a new week if you listen. And then, as a sign that you've received it, you might notice that your lungs are breathing, not because of anything you did, the sure sign that there is no social distance between you and him at all, or any spiritual distance either. It's the eighth day, and with your lungs full of his breath, the story begins again, a new creation. Nobody knows who wrote that story of Earth's beginning that has come down to us as the first chapter of Genesis? Some audacious, mystical poet, paleontologist, maybe, reading backwards through the layered wonders of creation. How do you write a story like that? How do you look through the almost infinitely faceted lens of this intricate, ingenious world and see back to how it might all have coalesced in the first place, how the patterns might have been laid down, how the luminous web grew thread by thread. 
as we look back through the lens of Genesis, this Eastertide at First Pres, this week we're at the point somewhere between day five and day six, as Jensen read, where the storyteller notices something of, among all the layers of life, something that actually all living creatures have in common, according to the story. Every living creature, all the beasts of the earth and all the fowl of the heavens and all that crawls on the earth or swims in the sea, all have within them the breath of life. At what point do you notice the simple stunning, indispensable facts that everything is breathing? At what point does it dawn on you that the most primordial miracle of existence is the one that you can't see, the one that fills every corner of every space seemingly without even trying? At what point do you awaken to the wonder of air? If you think back to winter, you might remember noticing it. The sting of the freezing air as you drew it into yourself when the shock of cold could make you wonder about the ability of lungs to crack the fierce grip of temperature. How is it that so gentle a thing as a breath can split the air open and drink the little molecules that life requires into our blood and marrow? But then, there it was when you breathed out the print of your own lungs against the day, a cloud of the vapor of your respiration, like a little flag that said back to the freezing winter just for a moment, there is life going on here. And then it vanished and you had to breathe again, endure the prickle in your nostrils and the piercing cold in your chest again in order to keep your defiant little testimony of life to the freezing winter going. Well, now it's spring, of course, when the air comes in easier. These days, in my neighborhood, there are dozens more people than usual out strolling in almost any weather. Spring always stirs our blood, but I'm sure this year that something else is going on, too. All this walking bespeaks a kind of appetite for interaction, a hunger to escape the confines of self and exchange nutrients with the world, even across whatever distances we're stuck with. In the world we live in right now, respiration is an act of defiance. Just the act of breathing is revealed for the triumph that it is and always has been. And we can see for once what's usually invisible the miracle of air. Recently, I found a timely theological reflection about air in an unexpected place. Michael Pollan's book, Cooked, A Nary of Transformation. Michael Pollan, as perhaps you know, is a prophetic journalist who sometimes waxes downright lyrical as he writes about our relationship with food and the earth that produces it. And I confess to being a bit of a foodie, so I find reading him delicious. In this book, Cooked, Michael Pollan gets you thinking about the lengths that human beings go to in order to transform 
unappetizing or barely edible things, grass, animal flesh, rot, into nourishment and pleasure. My first favorite thing about the book is the four sections into which Michael Pollan organizes its insights, fire, water, air, and earth. Well, you'll have to read it to hear about fire and water and earth. But I want to tell you about the chapter called Air, which is basically a meditation on bread, on how the whole genius of the invention of bread was to figure out how to somehow infuse enough air into ground up grass to make it digestible, nourishing, even pleasurable, sublime even. Michael Pollan spends a lot of time on ingredients, wheat, flour, leaven, and then he says, then there is the matter of the air. To compare a loaf of bread with a bowl of porridge is to realize how much of bread's power, sensory as well as symbolic, resides precisely in those empty cells of spaces. Some 80% of a loaf of bread consists of nothing more than air. But air is not nothing. In bread, it is where much of the flavor resides and is the reason bread is so much more aromatic than porridge. Symbolically, too, air is not nothing. Air elevates our food in every sense, raises it from the earthbound subsistence of gruel to something so fundamentally transformed as to hint at human and even divine transcendence. Air lifts food up out of the mud and so lifts us, dignifying both the food and its eaters. Surely it is no accident, writes Michael Pollan, that Christ turned to bread to demonstrate his divinity. Bread is partially inspired already, an everyday proof of the possibility of transcendence. So what a glorious thing it is that on this Lord's Day, we are gathered together again around bread. What a profound celebration of air it is, this staff of life that began as grasses of the field, but then had space breathed into it, space enough for spirit, space enough to come alive in Jesus's hands, space enough to have Jesus come alive in our hands, our body, this body, this church. These are days of painful separation, terrible fear, and great uncertainty. And no wonder we shudder ourselves inside for fear of a respiratory illness, an invisible adversary that threatens to reverse the primordial power of God by stealing the very air out of our lungs. And we live on a planet with a respiratory illness. The air itself is changing, warming, and the intricacy of its 
original tapestry has been knocked out of its delicate balance with a massive unholy tonnage of carbon that threatens to steal the life out of Earth's very lungs. And into the midst of this terrible lockdown comes a kind of defiant breath that not only says to the tyrant virus, we will not let you kill our spirit, but also equips us to say to the atmosphere, we will not let ourselves kill our home. The peace that Jesus breathed out upon us, the same breath that God breathed into our nostrils in the beginning, it has the power to contain both of our respiratory illnesses, the power to flatten even those daunting curves because it is the most essential miracle of existence, the one you can't see, the one that fills every corner of every space without even trying, even the spaces inside us that are locked for fear. There's only one possible response to the miracle of it, the wonder of it, the beauty of it. And that response is gratitude. Gratitude is the air we breathe that inspires the power in us to push back, to open the shuttered spaces and find our way back into life. Jesus breathes his peace into us and we breathe out gratitude. And it's gratitude that will save us as the work of this eighth day, this new week begins. Gratitude for the ties to each other that, as we've been learning the hard way, have been keeping us alive all this time. Gratitude for the ties to the intricate, luminous web of life on earth that keep us alive even now. His peace comes to us in the spaces for spirit within the bread of his body that lifts us up from the mud and brings us alive. Breath, like air, is not nothing any more than our lungs can be said to be empty spaces. We crave breath so much that we refill ourselves with it every four or five seconds. It comes from beyond us, yet it is of the essence of us, intrinsic to us. It is possible to be taking in air and not notice it or not care. But for precisely that reason, the spiritual practices of many religions include disciplines of paying attention, re-knowing the air for what it is when it becomes breath, which is something to revere. And that's as true for us as a society as we pay attention to the air we breathe in common as it is true for us as a globe, as we pay attention to the air that every single living creature depends on. So, take a deep breath in honor of this Lord's Day. A deep breath for the work that begins again on this new day. Respiration is our most elemental bond, breathing in peace, breathing out gratitude, the only way to live. 
we are airborne. Respiration is the most sacred of all the responsibilities we hold in trust together. Respiration is the sign of hope that God has written in the open space within each of us to prove he's there. And respiration is our act of defiance. The little flag that we wave in the face of all the respiratory threats as our way of saying, life is going on here. May it be so. Amen. We are so pleased that you joined us by radio or online today. Though we are a church family scattered in body, the Holy Spirit makes of us community. We are together in so many ways. United, we strive to help the invisible Holy Spirit become clearly visible and tangible in how we live our lives, especially in our acts of courage and compassion and justice. God's living breath is in all of us, no matter where we are. God's Spirit will also unite us in the sacrament of communion after the offering. If you've not prepared your own home communion table already, I encourage you to do so at this time, and more instructions are in your online bulletin. We'd like to know that you joined us in worship this morning, and on the front page of our website, there is a link to let us know that you're here with a place to send a message or a prayer request to be shared. Your messages of encouragement and affirmation are read by all our staff and mean more, more to us than you can know. Your financial gifts make this worship possible, but more than that, your gifts make this ministry come alive in your homes and in our community. Your generosity allows us to help you grow in faith and breathe peace in challenging times, but also to stay grounded in the gospel in which we find our greatest hope. You can give electronically, or you may send a gift by mail, or you can click on the link that says, give online here. Before we give our gifts to God, let us pray. Lord, thank you that we are people of grace and gratitude and generosity. We strive to partner with your spirit to be giving and loving wherever you call us, whatever it costs, for as long as it takes. So take now these, our offerings, and put them to use in the service of your church and for this planet and all peoples to thrive, so that together we might be agents of mercy and compassion in this moment of crisis. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.